Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Well, I want to welcome you back to this series that we've been in. I know many of you have joined us along the way, but maybe you're just now joining us. We've spent some time here recently talking about mountains. And not just talking about mountains, but talking about how God is able to move the mountains in your life and in my life and people around us. And we're talking about how to get a breakthrough in the things that hold you back. Because you see, as mountains and situations come in our lives, we, we approach them differently and we're trying to get some equipment on how to approach these mountains. But there can be moments of breakthrough where God accelerates the process. I'm going to ask if you have your Bibles this week to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 5. As you're finding your passage there, I want to give a special announcement. We have some great things coming up as a church family and we have our missions weekend coming up and I'm going to emphasize this on missions weekend as I tell you about all the great things that we're doing as a church to impact our community and around the world and uh, several years ago, I got a burden for single moms, and so we just started putting out the word that we want to reach out to single moms in our community, and so friends and neighbors and everyone started telling uh, people about that, and so now there's hundreds of single moms that we're helping in multiple ways with education and finances and all kinds of stuff now, and uh, recently began to think about another group of people in our community that have served us, that that give the, so much of themselves and then running into so many in our community that lack the equipment when they come back into everyday life, and that's our veterans. And so I want to announce to you on Veterans Day uh, here coming up that weekend that we're going to have a special veterans luncheon, and we're going to honor them, and I'm going to share some things with them. And so if you have a friend or you yourself are a veteran, we'd love the opportunity to honor you. Uh, you can sign up there online or uh, this weekend we have in the foyer at our information kiosk, we have people there ready to answer questions. So if you know someone or you yourself fit that, we'd love the opportunity to minister to you and reach out to you and just show you how much we honor you as well. Uh, we've had a a passage of scripture that we've been going through if this is new. And so I want to go to this passage of scripture that we've been anchoring this series to in Matthew chapter 17. And I want to build on where we've been the last few weeks because we started with talking about how mountains move, what our perspective should be regarding our mountains. And then last week we talked about how our thinking impacts our mountains. And I want to get even more practical this weekend as we kind of bring those things together into what do we say. And you say, where do we get that from? Well, Jesus here with his disciples, they had a mountain problem with a boy who had a demonic spirit and they didn't know what to do with it and they were in trouble. They were trying to deal with it. And so they came to Jesus privately. I love that. You know, if you're here and you're facing a mountain in your life, a lot of times we don't like to admit, I don't spiritually really know what to do. So you find yourself afraid, worrying, I don't know, trying anything you can, but you don't know spiritually what to do, and the disciples didn't either, so they came to Jesus privately and they said, we don't know what to do, so Jesus replied and said, here's your problem, it's because you have so little faith. 
And I understand when we hear that, we would think, okay, wait a minute, is this that I need to be more spiritual or it needs to be my personality or I need to be more extroverted? Well, we've been looking at in this series, it's much more practical than that. But Jesus did say it. He said, you have so little faith. And he said, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, in their context, the smallest thing they could think of, the small mustard seed, you can say to this mountain. And so Jesus ties to what do you say to your mountain? You could say to it, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So this weekend, we want to talk a little bit about what do you say to your mountains? What, what do you say in your marriage problem? What do you say when you have a health problem? What do you say when you have a problem with your child? Do you just get angry? Do you say all the wrong things? What do you say to the mountains of your life? How do you speak about it? And we're going to see how this is all tied together, how we see the mountain, how we think about the mountain, and what we say to the mountain are all combined there together. Some of you are saying, look, mountain Jeff, I've got the biggest mountain. I've got the biggest situation. By the way, if it's our situation, it's always the worst and the biggest no matter what, because it's ours. And so every week I've been showing you some mountains and we're just trying to get ourselves thinking about mountains because we live here in Texas and we don't see a lot of mountains so we can lose sight of how daunting they are, how large they are. And so this week I thought if you're facing a big mountain, I would just show you the biggest mountain. Here's the biggest mountain, the largest mountain, Mount Everest, 29,000 feet. The wind can blow 200 miles an hour at the summit. It can be minus 80 degrees. It is just amazing, this large structure that so many people want to summit. And so there's about 4,000 and some odd people that have summited. 290 people currently have died on this mountain. And so when you think about it, you're thinking, man, this is, this is it looks real pretty there, but we, we hear all the stories of the challenges of people trying to summit this mountain. I thought about it this week. Do you want to know the youngest person, how, how old they were to summit this mountain? It was actually a 13-year-old, and the oldest was 80 years old. <clears throat> Come on, you're never too young, you're never too old to face your mountain. And so we see the movies, we hear all the stories. Any of you 80-year-olds don't get any ideas, but anyway. So I saw some people going, hey, I'm in, all right, come on, okay. Nonetheless, we, we look at it in this picture and it's like, okay, that looks pretty, there's snow, but not so much when it's our situation that seems impossible. And I promise you, if you were at base camp, it would look a lot different than it does on the screen. And so it is with the mountains that are in your life. But what do you say to your mountain? Like, Jeff, I don't even know what to say. It's kind of like when we have a friend who's going through a mountain situation. Sometimes we don't even know what to tell them. You're at a loss for words. And so we say some spiritual thing or something like that. And so we have to know what to say. We're going to talk about that. But I want to tell you a little funny story. Uh, last week, I was helping a little guy. Um, I love kids, and so I love training and helping and coaching. And so this little guy, he's seven years old, 
and uh, we were together and he had found in my office, he found uh, this little fidget spinner that I used for an illustration several months ago. If any of you remember that, it's a little kind of red colored fidget spinner and he was over there playing with it and I started talking to him and I could tell he wanted my fidget spinner. He was like, this is nice, Pastor. This is awesome. I said, yeah, it's awesome. That's my fidget spinner. How do you? And he's like, yeah. I said, I said, do you have any fidget spinners? And he said, yeah, I got 14. I'm trying to dominate. I'm like, I like your spirit. I want to, I want to work with this, okay? He said, I got 14. He started describing them all. And so I thought about just an opportunity to adjust his mindset for just a second, Okay. And so I started wanting to think, I was thinking about mountains and kind of training them and how all this that we're talking about in this realm of faith, you have so little faith, it's dealing with the barriers of how we naturally see it, how we naturally think about it and how we naturally talk to it. And so I just, I started talking to him about this fidget spinner and what he wanted. He said, yeah, I want to get one that's a Batman fidget spinner. And then I want a dark blue fidget spinner. And so I thought, let me, let me help adjust this brother for just a second. And I told his sister to come over there. I said, you know what you really need to do? You need to give, I'll give you my fidget spinner, but you need to give it to your sister. He's Pastor, that's not God. I mean, are you joking me? I mean, I don't want to give it away, much less to my sister. And so I thought a little bit about what you say. And so I pulled up on my iPhone the Bible and I took him to 2 Corinthians 9 where it talks about he who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. So I started talking to him about that. I said, so you're really wanting to reap these spinners. And my question is, like, which ones are you giving away? And so actually read really good for like a seven-year-old. I mean, the, the guy could do it. I mean, I put it there. And I mean, he read it out loud. I said, well, let's read it again. So he's so sparingly, okay, now that's, that's the Bible. And then he looked at his sister and he's just, I mean, he's just tormented. He's just, it's just, just, I don't know about all this. This is crazy. And so I made him read it out loud. And, and, and I said, do, do you believe God is able? And, you know, it's like I, I'm just working with his mindset and it was just so painful for him he's like I don't know about that I just don't know about that so I just kept working with him and finally he gave it to his sister so I got with his parents and I ordered him a Batman fidget spinner and a blue one online and I said go put it under his pillow for a couple of days he was looking under the pillow going man Jesus is going to give me a fidget spinner now some of you are like you're teaching this kid heresy calm down for a minute okay Calm down for a minute. No, I'm, I'm working with a principle for a second. How many of you know we start with childlike faith? We should probably, all of us, be a little bit more cooperative with God's principles than we probably are. So on the third day he was sick, he didn't look under his pillow, and on the next day he pulls out these two fidget spinners. He's like, Jesus showed up. I got these. And then his older sister sent me a video of her videoing him in the family room with his little sister who he gave the fidget spinner and they're over there saying, Jesus is going to give us some fidget spinners and Jesus is going to do this and she sent it to me and now I'm going to have a meeting with him to tell him, look, it's not magic, okay? <laughs> We're going to sit down and talk about the whole counsel of God and you don't always get and you can't ask a miss and all of that, but I, I, I just was watching it in that little seven-year-old and seeing when I introduced a biblical principle, how his mind had to be adjusted from his 14 fidget spinners to the Word of God. That, whoa, that seems crazy. And so it is, not when you're just seven, but even when you're 70, what you say, what you think about, 
thinking on the things of God can be very contrary to what we naturally would go to when it comes to our mountains. Because what you need to think about and say to your mountain, let me promise you, it's going to seem crazy in the natural. You say, let's see about this saying thing. Are you talking about some formula, Jeff? Are you just talking about we need to get some niceties? Are you saying we can't ever be honest about our mountain? No, I'm not saying that. I want us to look here at this passage of Scripture that I told you to turn to. And I want to show you, bottom line, what it is you should say to your mountain. Matthew 8, 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Some of you are familiar with the Bible and you understand kind of the backdrop. A centurion was over about 80 soldiers. And this Roman centurion would have been viewed when Jesus is starting to talk to him and help him this, this book, Matthew, is written to a Jewish audience. They automatically would have thought, this guy's on the outside. This, this is the guy who's trying to hurt us. We don't need to help this person. And so you need to get that kind of in your mindset because he has authority over other soldiers. He comes to him, but he asks Jesus for help. He said, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Many of these centurions, they didn't have families because they were soldiers, and so he had a deep emotional connection to this servant. He had a, a relationship with him. So he's, he's very concerned about it. And he said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, I'm talking about what do you say to your mountain? Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Sometimes when this passage is preached, there's a lack of understanding of the context. There is a reason that he's probably saying that because he's self-aware enough that Jesus as a spiritual Jewish teacher would probably not be able to or would not be accepted by most people in a cultural standard to come to his house as a centurion. So he's being considerate. But with that being understood, let's still look at what the Bible's teaching us because what Jesus is amazed at is something very powerful. He said, Lord, I, I don't want you to come to my house. I understand you probably can't. But he says to him, but just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And why does he understand that? He connects it to the authority of what Jesus says. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard him say that, that he had confidence in what Jesus could say, and there was authority in what Jesus said. It says here, Jesus was amazed. And then he says to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Notice the contrast. He told the disciples, you have such little faith. He told the centurion, you have great faith because of his confidence in what Jesus would say. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't get too trapped in all of that. What Jesus is still saying, there's a lot of people who think they're on the inside who are actually on the outside. And so he's bringing all, everyone, the everyday person, everyday person can move the mountains. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant, get this, was healed at that moment. So we want to connect together 
what we see in this story. As I said, there's some people think, you know, are we just talking about the power of positive sayings? You know, if we'll just say enough positive stuff, then that'll kind of create some mystical, magical thing. By the way, it's better to be positive than negative anyway. But it's not about just having the right positive sayings. It's not even in the formula of what you say, but what I will tell you is this, that what we're learning in this series about mountains is that you have a confidence in God's ability. And God's ability to move your mountains is also tied to what he says. And so it's agreeing with the power of what God says over your situation. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, God spoke the world into existence. He has authority on the basis of what he says. And so it's us cooperating with the truth of what God says about our situation. Because if we don't cooperate with what God says, then we're going to continue to think on what we feel. We're going to continue to be intimidated. We're going to continue to have a victim perspective. And so there's power. I'm going to tell you today, again, you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. You're like my little seven-year-old guy. Wait, wait a minute, pastor. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But there's power in what God says. There's power and authority in what he says. I showed you Mount Everest in the middle of this week. I I planned to show you Mount Everest just because every week I'm showing these mountains and getting you thinking about it. And I received a letter from a 25-year-old teacher. I thought this was really inspiring. A 25-year-old teacher in our church named Sammy Max. She starts out the letter saying she's been receiving from God in this series. And it was especially connective to her because of her story. She starts in the first paragraph by saying, let me just sum it up. Here's why I'm at Milestone. I came to see a friend baptized, but I'm here because I'm a 25-year-old teacher at Timber Creek High School, and I have seen an outpouring of amazing transformation in the lives of my students. She said, I've seen all these students around my life that have been completely transformed, and that's why I'm here. But as she goes into, related to mountains, I thought it was really cool, she goes into this story and tells me that as she describes herself, I'm five foot nothing, so she's a little person, but yet she's learned about moving mountains. And she says in college, she had a teacher who said to her, think about the spoken word, who said to her, you're going to do some big things for God. She said, I had no idea what that meant, but I held on to that concept. Look, I'm talking even about the power of the spoken word over the lives of people. She held on to it. She later on believed that God was asking her to do something crazy, that she should actually go to Mount Everest and she should reach out to the Himalayan people. Her parents were not into it so much. Nonetheless, as she describes it, she goes through a dangerous airport, a wild set of circumstances, and spends an extended amount of time reaching out to the Himalayan people. I thought it was quite inspiring. She goes on to say that it wasn't just about this experience that helped her overcome some fear, that helped her overcome some different things in her life to step out, try to see what God would do. Again, we a lot of times think a lot less, but it wasn't just about what happened there in, at Mount Everest. She goes on to say, now I'm leading a small group here in our community in my home, and I'm helping other people move their mountains. I'm helping other people. And so, so it is in our lives, as I've showed you throughout this series, we probably 
accept far less. We probably, even as you hear me balancing, you know, it's not magic, it's not a formula, it's not positive thinking. Really, the truth is in our culture, we we probably sort of lean on God has it in control, God's got it taken care of, and he does. But what we're learning in this series is there is something about the atmosphere of great faith. There's something about the atmosphere of being equipped and knowing what to do when you face a mountain. And so we've been learning about that practically, and this week I want to give you the practicals, because some of you are like, I don't know what to say to my mountain. I literally don't know what to say to my mountain. So how do your words impact your mountain? Number one, you have to start evaluating your words. You have to start evaluating your words. Last week I talked about thinking And you're like, I don't know if I'm thinking the right thoughts. Well, one way to measure whether you're thinking the right thoughts is the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're like, what are you meditating on? Then just listen to how you talk. Listen to what you say. Because it's all coming out of what you're meditating on, what you're thinking on. You're like, I don't know if I have an overly fearful perspective. Well, you'll find out by listening to your words. I don't know if I have the right perspective. I don't know if I'm agreeing with God's words or not. Well, listen to your words because as you evaluate them, you'll see out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I was 23 years old, I had the opportunity to speak at an event. And there was a lot of some of my heroes at that time that were there. And there was one particular guy. He was a great preacher. He was a great leader. And so I had the opportunity to preach. And then later on, we had a little time together. And he started off with a real encouraging thought. He said, Jeff, I think God's going to do amazing things with you. He said, I think you have a gift to preach. I think, you know, so I'm like, man, this is awesome, you know. And then he, he said, you know, but you really need to start listening to yourself. The first thing you need to do is take a vocabulary class. Thank you, sir. May I have another? I apologize, I grew up in East Texas, so I find myself sometimes saying, it's bad grammar, but it's good preaching. And so at 23 years old, I started listening to myself. And I'm going to tell you, if you've ever tried to give a speech, or you've ever heard yourself recorded, or you listen to your voicemail, young people don't know what that is anymore, but anyway, you listen to your voicemail, and you're like, you sound so different in your own head than you do when you listen to yourself. And early on, I started listening to myself, like, oh, here's a thought. If you had a tape recorder around your life every single day, recording what you say to your friends, to your spouse, to the people around you, and you were to play it back at the end of the day, how much of it would agree with how God thinks, with how God talks about your mountains and your situations? And so you have to start evaluating. And as you evaluate, here's what you're wanting to say. You want to create this filter for your words. Psalm 19 says this, May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so as you're evaluating, you're looking at things that agree with and are pleasing to the Lord. So so think about some of your statements. You, You may say, you know what, I got this mountain, I mean... You know, it's just, I'm, I'm just going to have to just, just do it myself. You may think that in your head and then you just think, I'm just going to have to do it myself. Well, that doesn't agree with what God says. God says, I'll be with you. He says, I'll never leave you. You don't have to do it by yourself. Some people just begin to say, well, it is what it is. 
You know, this is just the way it is. It's just going to be this way. I don't have a choice. This is how it was. Uh, You know, my parents, this person, no. Jesus keeps emphasizing that there's this possibility realm. There's this possibility for change. There's this possibility for God to show up in the situation. But as you begin to think about and evaluate your words, you begin to recognize how much you may be way over here and not agreeing with what God says. You say, okay, let's get practical on how we do it. You have to train your speech. Again, in this series, we've been talking about training your perspective, training your thinking. And I'm going to tell you the one that's hard for all of us is you have to start training your speech when it comes to your mountain. Say, how do I do that? Well, you start with, you have to receive. That's your starting place. You, have, you can't begin to do the rest of it until you posture yourself in a place to receive what God says. And it's hard to receive what God says because it's so out of the box. It's so different than what you're hearing around you. It's so different than how your natural self would think about the situation. Your natural self is going to have cynicism. Your natural self is going to want to be critical. Your natural self is going to want to be defensive. But God's word in its purity, you have to posture yourself to go, I want to receive from the word of God. And and so you, you can't do anything about the mountain until you know God's perspective and God's words on it. You can't say something you haven't received. I like to think of it this way. I, I know I've preached on this before, but in our world today, here's what I'm finding. A lot more mountains, but a lot less people equipped to face mountains. Because we live in a world today that we're, we're actually suspect of anything. We, we question authority. I mean, it's just like it, it, authority. It's like we question the teacher. We question the, the, the police officer. We question everything. Now, you're saying, Jeff, you're telling me that I'm just supposed to start taking this word and that I don't engage with it in an honest way? Are you telling me I can't question the word? I'm not saying you should not approach it in an honest way to really try to understand it. But I'm going to tell you, if you're going to defeat your mountains, at some point you need to work past all the toxicity of unbelief in your life and begin to say, if the word says it, that settles it, and that'll put you in a place to receive what God says. Because let me tell you, you don't receive from anything that you don't believe is authoritative because if you don't believe it's not, if you believe it's not authoritative, you don't trust it. So you begin to go, you know what? If God says it, I trust it. I trust it. Remember my little seven-year-old guy? I don't know about that. Like, so reap, so reap. That doesn't sound good. Like, I'm more into keep. Let me mess with it. Now, see, I can see his little seven-year-old mountain because I'm down the road a ways, and I understand the principles of God. But how many of us are still on the seven-year-old level wondering, why can't I defeat anything? How postured are you to receive from the Word of God? When you hear a message, when you hear it played, the Word of God, when you read the Word of God, some of you are like, I'm not a good reader. I don't understand the Bible a little bit. Look, posturing yourself in a receptive posture, just a little bit of it can make a big difference. It's all about your receptivity. You say, okay, well, I get to a place where I receive it and I trust it. Here's the next thing you do. You start meditating on it. Love this passage of scripture, Psalm 119, 15. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. 
I delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word. So when you get a mountain, I'm just like you, a mountain comes your way or you're believing for someone else's mountain, you know how to meditate because worry is actually the wrong meditation. Worry is, oh my goodness, the mountain, and this is going to happen, and I don't think it can, I, okay, this is going to happen. This Worry is meditating the wrong way. And so you, you meditate, so when you face that mountain, okay, what do, I, what do I do in relationship to it? How do I think about it? That's going to affect what I say to it. I mean, I'm trying to equip you. This is very practical. You're gonna, if you don't already have a mountain, one's coming your way. And when it comes your way, you better receive from the word and then start meditating on the word. I'm not going to neglect the word when it comes to my mountain. You're like, meditate. Okay, meditate. I know it's a kind of Bible word. And you're like, what is that? A lot of our culture thinks when you hear meditation, they think, um, you know, I'm just going to try to get in some sort of state where I empty myself. And if I'll empty myself, I'll breathe out the toxic, okay? That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is not just getting out the toxic, it's replacing the toxic with the truth. It's replacing the lies. The word means to chew. I've seen a cow in the pasture just chewing. It's chewing. It's, it has several stomachs, okay? You're like, I don't like that. That's gross. Well, those of you watching the World Series, Jose Altuve, the second baseman for the Houston Astros. He didn't have any gum last night, but the other game where they won, maybe that's why they lost, brother has some gum. And I've never seen anybody chew gum like Jose Altuve. I mean, they, the camera would go on, he's like... That gum was part of him. If you're facing Mount Everest, you better start chewing. You're like, well, I'm kind of chewing. You better go Altuve. You got to meditate on it. You have to chew on it so that it becomes part of you. And here's the Next thing I would say, so now you're receiving it, you're chewing on it. You say, Jeff, how do you chew on it? I have it on the back of my phone. I listen to the word throughout the week. See, I got a lot of mountains. I got people, you say, how do you do it as a pastor? All these people's mountains and circumstances and problems and negative things. You got to chew a lot. You got to chew a lot. Lot. I listen to messages. I put it on my phone. I have it on the there. I have it on the dash of my car. I, I, I chew all week. I just chew all week on it. It becomes part of you. And then once you're chewing on that and not your victim mentality, when you're chewing on that and not your heritage in your past, when you're chewing on that and not the toxicity of fear, here's what starts coming out of your mouth. You start confessing what God says. You start saying, so you confess the word. So if you're like, the word confess, pastor, like in my heritage, that means like you're supposed to like, you're supposed to say, I did something wrong. 
Now, by the way, there is a verse of scripture in the Bible that says you can confess your sins one to another and you'll be healed. So yes, there's an act of confession, but there's another word for confession in the Bible. Homologio is the Greek word, and it literally means to say the same word. The Bible talks about hold fast your confession. Did you know you get saved through confession as well. Yes, it's an act of God's grace, but in salvation, the Bible says that your heart believes, but with the mouth you confess Jesus is Lord. At salvation, you confess he is Lord, resulting in salvation. You don't just confess to get saved. You confess to move mountains and to stay in the perfect place with God and to walk with God. You keep confessing. What does that mean? Say the same word. Not just build some kind of nicety where it's like, okay, I'm going to build up some real nice things and I'm going to say, you know, it's beautiful today and the air is sweet and I'm a good person and all that. No, 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 no. You start saying what God says in your life. You put that around your world and what you do is you begin to align yourself with what God thinks about your mountain. I want to help you practically do this because all of this leads to You have a mountain, and I know you've spent some considerable amount of time worried about the mountain. I know you spent considerable amount of time researching on the internet how to fix the mountain. I know you spent considerable amount of time looking for someone who's an expert to fix your mountain. I know you spent considerable amount of time trying to blow up your mountain. Can I offer to you getting Jesus involved with your mountain, getting some spiritual power. As we've learned in this series, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places. So I would recommend to you, you say, what do you say to your mountain? You pray God's word. You pray God's word. You're like, I didn't even know that's possible. Well, how many of you got one of these when you came in? Just hold this up to me right here. Just everybody. I'm making, all right, you got one? I, I saw people last night. They were taking after, we, after this message. They're like, if that'll move the mountain, I'm taking 10. I mean, they were walking out with stacks. I'm giving it. Here's for your mountain and your mountain and your mountain. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Pastor, what do you do to your mountains? I worry about them too, just like you. I try to fix them in my flesh sometimes too. But after a heritage of growing up with confidence in the word of God, one thing I do that I want to not just tell you about, impart to you, is I pray God's word toward my mountains. Pray God's word toward your mountains. And so you have this little booklet here, and we have several different things. I'm just going to take, we get loads of prayer requests from you every single week. We have a team of people praying God's word over your request. But I'd like to teach you how to pray God's word over your request. Because thank God for intercessory people and, you know, spiritual pastors who maybe y'all think we have a hotline to God. But look, this is for everyone. Every one of us can talk to God. Every one of us can do this. This is not just some special praying people. You can do this. So I just thought I would take just a few that you've sent in, and we get hundreds, and so I just thought I'd take a few. Here's one that we received right here. I'm battling depression, a common one. And so just flip over there with me to the overcoming section. I think it's number three there, and 
You say, Pastor, if you were in that place, what would you do? I understand there's chemical things. I understand there's physical things. I understand there's circumstances. I understand that counseling can help and you need some grief counseling or you need this. I understand all that. But let's also pray God's word over that depression. Because God can rearrange the chemicals. God can rearrange the wiring in the brain. God can rearrange it. And so you just start going down this and you just kind of pick one out that you like. You know, God, all things are possible and nothing's too hard for God. And you wake up in the morning and you're like, I just don't feel good. I just want to stay under the covers. I, I, I just, I don't know. I just, okay, so then I just, I just grab this and you can grab your Bible or you can write some down or you can make your own note sheet or look, technology today has made this easy too. You can just search on the internet scriptures for depression and just download those and make sure they're from the Bible. Sometimes people want to kind of mix them. Good sayings don't have the power. The word has the power. So you just kind of search down there and just go, I don't feel like I can do anything today. But Philippians 4.13, Lord, I just pray that right now over my depression. I pray I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And you just start chewing. I can do I don't feel like I can do all things. I don't feel like I can do. But you know, your word says, God, so I just want to talk to you about that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Your word tells me I can do all things. Today I can approach life today. I can get out of bed today because I can do all things, not through my strength. So I just pray that back to you, Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you just kind of move on down there. Romans 8, 37, I'm more than a conqueror. No, in all these things, God, I feel like my mom was depressed and so I'm just supposed to be depressed and this situation hasn't moved and my ex-husband hasn't done this but your word tells me right here oh in all things we are more than conquerors through you who loved us my mom didn't love me my dad didn't love me but you love me you loved us you love me you put your name in there and you just start just walking around chewing maybe sit and chew you just chew on it Depression, that mountain of depression starts starts moving. Here's another one. Praying my husband will come to Christ and we won't divorce. Look over at marriage and family. You just move on down there a little ways. First Peter 3, 1. As a wife, I'll be responsive to my husband's need. It's down, I don't know, about 10 or 11. You can read all of those. Some of them have to do with the husband down there and you're, you're a wife and you're saying, I'm praying for my husband and as a wife... I'll be responsible, wives, be subject to your own husband so that if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. And so you start saying, Lord, okay, how can I relate to my husband in a way? How can I show him what you look at? So you start, Lord, help me with that. I want, you say he can be one. And so you work through that. As I was thinking about you in this request, a verse of scripture came to my mind, 2 Peter 3, 9. And 2 Peter 3, 9 says that he would none, he would, that none would perish. So I know it's God's will because I'm going to pray the word. You don't want him to perish. You don't want him to spend eternity separated from you. So I'm going to pray that word. I think about verses like the God of this age, the enemy has blinded him in his understanding. So if you're that wife, you need to get, the Bible says, the sword of the spirit. You need to get the offensive weapon to pray God's will over your husband finances. We get them all the time. Turn over to stewardship all the time. I need a financial breakthrough. Job request all the time. 
Well, you just start right there at the top. My first financial priority is to honor the Lord. So I start saying, Lord, help me honor you with my finances. Help me know what it means to honor you. So I'm going to pray this Proverbs scripture. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruit of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So Lord, you're saying that I'm going to honor you with my possessions and then you're going to resource as I begin to honor you and I begin to do it your way. First Chronicles 29, 16, O Lord our God, as for all this abundance, it comes from your hand. So you're like, okay, wait a minute. My job's not my source. Okay, I'm worried about it. My job's not my source. My boss is not my source. It's, it's not some kind of thing out there. Wait, you're my source. So you just pray that back to God. God, everything comes from your hand. And then you just, if you're real worried, you just you write it on your hand. You take it with you. You stamp it on you all day. Everything comes from your hand. Altuve. It comes from your hand. Quit letting your mountains overwhelm you. Start speaking to them the word of God. The final one, healing. Healing. My mom has stage four kidney cancer, stage three kidney cancer. What a Mount Everest. We don't understand how God works. We don't understand they may be healed in heaven. They may be healed here, but God still heals. And so you just begin to say, I know all things are possible to those who believe. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. I like that Psalm 107.20. I was singing that this week over someone that's sick around me. You sent your word and you healed our disease. You are the God, and I'm a terrible singer. You are the God, our healer. You sent your word and you healed our disease. I'm bringing you into the backdrop here. This is how the battle is won. You sent your word and healed them. So God, I'm gonna begin to pray that over this situation. And you begin to pray that and God begins to show up. And one of my favorites is you just keep Ephesians 3.20. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. And sometimes he may not just save your husband, but he may actually just bring him into a whole new arena and he starts working with other men and discipling people and becoming the godly man that you're praying for. Who knows? My dad was sick, literally said he saw heaven a few years ago, had sepsis. He was on the sled. They were his kidneys. I took a day and read the word of God over him. You say, Jeff, do we understand why God healed your dad and he didn't heal my friend? I don't know. Sort that out with God. All I know is my dad visited me last weekend. And the doctor said, it's not going to work. And God healed him. What do you say to your mountain? You agree with what God's already said. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that it's living and active. We thank, it sh thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Lord, today that it is eternal. That we can be confident in it. That we can settle ourselves today that you know what is right. You know what we need. And so, Lord, I pray for an impartation to every person listening to me. First of all, if they haven't surrendered their self to you, Lord, today would be the day where they say, Jesus, here I am. I believe you died for me. You rose from the dead. And I want you to be my Jesus. Come into my life and save me. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to let us know so we can help you take steps with God. But Lord, I pray right now for a second group and really for all of us that, Lord, we would see our mountains different, that we would think about them different, and, Lord, we would begin 
to spend less time complaining, criticizing, and looking at them with worry and start agreeing with what you say about our mountains. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 